Church podcast, where we wrestle with what it means to live lightly in relation to God's creation. Welcome, everyone, to the Living Lightly podcast. We, as in me, Connie Heffer-Mueller, and Ted Dick, are your hosts, and we are just thrilled to have Wendy Jensen joining us today. Wendy is a pastor at the St. Jacob's Mennonite Church in Ontario. She is also the pastor of the Burning Bush Forest Church in Ontario. She serves as a spiritual, dire- spiritual director uh, as well. She's the mother of two and uh, involved in all kinds of interesting and new territory, like being part of the Wild Church Network. So welcome here, Wendy. Thank you, Connie. It's good to be here with you and Ted. Could you tell us a little bit about, specifically about this new initiative that you've been part of for the last few years, the Burning Bush Forest Church? How did that begin? And uh, yeah, where's the origins of that for for you and your church? Sure. So Burning Bush Forest Church has been gathering on a monthly basis for just over four years now. It began in March of 2016, and the origins uh, stem back to a sabbatical that I took from my ministry at St. Jacob's Mennonite Church. Um, The focus of my sabbatical was looking at churches that were doing things differently, that were sort of outside of the box, not traditional kinds of churches, uh, were meeting in different kinds of locations and, and worshiping in different ways, but I didn't have any inkling or any intention of looking for something new to do myself. That wasn't what my goal was. I was just curious. I just wanted to know what was happening in new churches and uh, be sort of a a bridge or a a connection between a 175-year-old established congregation and ones that are just emerging. but I guess sometimes uh, God works in mysterious ways, and and uh, during that time, uh, I was I guess open in um, open in spiritual ways to listen to God's leading, and uh, so things happened that I wasn't anticipating, and uh, I ended up in a conversation with a neighbor who simply told me that she was done with church. She couldn't sit inside a church building anymore. She couldn't listen to a sermon. She just felt too constrained. She'd rather be out on a hike on a Sunday morning, out in nature with her family and experiencing God there. And I listened to this conversation. I thought, oh, I bet there's a ton of people who feel exactly the same way as you do. Um, And this conversation just sort of kept going over time. Like we would Every time we'd get together, we'd talk about a bit more about it. And I had this sense sort of in the back of my head as I was listening that there was something more going on in this conversation and that there was something I was being called to do with this conversation, even though she never at one point said, Wendy, I think you need to do something about this. You're a pastor or you're a spiritual director. What's going on here? What what can we do about this? Um, but I, I just had this sense that there was something I needed to pay attention to. Um, that same fall, my oldest son was in a pilot project for a forest school program. And one day when I was picking him up from forest school, it was like an epiphany, like I've never experienced before. It's like, holy cow, if there is such a thing as forest school, why couldn't there be something like forest church? And what would that look like? Would that be, um, 
you know, forest school is not just transplanting a traditional school classroom outside. There's a lot more to it that's more nuanced and engaging in terms of nature being part of the teacher as part as long as well as part of the classroom. So if we took church outside and did forest church, what would that look like? How would that change what we do and not just transplant a traditional worship service outside? Like some churches do, you know, we have our annual outdoor service at a picnic or something like that. But this would be a totally different framework in terms of how we experience God outside versus inside the walls of a building. So that's sort of where it all started. That idea got planted in my head. Um, I decided, well, maybe I'm not the first brilliant person to think of this. So I googled the term forest church. And sure enough, there was a network in the UK of... Uh, groups that called themselves Forest Church. It happened maybe about two or three years, or they had been going for about two or three years. Um, and so I, I contacted them. They had published a book. I read the book, and it just sort of excited me, and I thought, this this is what this conversation has been about. This there's some, There is something more here, and I need to pay attention. And it was just uh, something I couldn't ignore. It was, uh, yeah, just beyond words in terms of how um, how driven I felt in a way that I had never felt before um, to follow this lead and this path. That said, when I went back to my church, um, I was my sabbatical ended at the end of December, and uh, as my sabbatical was winding up, I thought, "Oh my! When I go back to working at church in January, I'm not going to have time to pursue this." But I want to give this a try before I'm done. So on the last Sunday of December, I invited that neighbor. I, I called her up on Saturday afternoon. I said, do you want to do Forest Church tomorrow? And she said, yes. And she said, can I invite some other people? So with less than 24 hours notice, we had 15 people gathered for worship on a December Sunday in Canada to worship outdoors and try something new and explore what this would look like. And it... it um, yeah, it was, it was an amazing movement of the spirit. Then I went back to work that next Sunday, and life did get too busy. Um, I told people about it. I talked to my church about it. People were interested. Um, but it wasn't the church's calling. The church did not feel the same calling. So it was my calling, and it was my neighbor's calling, and it was sort of this broader group outside of the church who were interested and engaged when I talked about it and shared my excitement and enthusiasm. There were other people who also shared that excitement and enthusiasm, but it took over a year before we actually decided to follow up and, and, and do something regularly. And so that was when, um, yeah, Burning Bush Forest Church started then a year after that in March of 2000. 16. So that's that story. Oh, that sounds it sounds like a very organic process that uh, I was I was wondering as you were talking is this something that you sort of heard about and then but it was something that really kind of grew out of your own process. Yeah. And then you found oh, you know, other people have been having the same process and uh, that's such a neat that's neat how that worked out. I'm very curious about um is it's Forest Church just sort of like how is it different than inside church or how, how do you see it? Uh, like even just in the practicalities of what does, uh, what does worship look like in that, in that setting? Is it, is it just sort of a modified church service 
in an outdoor setting, or is it, uh, is it very unique in, in significant ways? Well, I can tell you um, the way that we do it at Burning Bush, but I, I can also tell you that there are very, there's a variety of ways that different groups are doing it. So I can talk more about the Wild Church Network later and some of the variety of group, ways groups in North America are now uh, engaging with this. Um, but for for us, uh, it's quite different from um, a, a typical Mennonite worship service as far as what I've experienced in the Mennonite church in that um, we don't do a lot of singing. And uh, music it has often been played a big role in any Mennonite congregation I've been a part of. Um, and I'd say one reason why we don't do a lot, or there's a few reasons why we don't include a lot of singing. One is that um, there's new people every time, almost. Um, it can range in size from five people to 30 people, and it's hard to sing when there's only five people. It's hard to sing if you don't have a common shared repertoire of hymns. It's hard to sing if you don't have hymnals or songbooks or projection um, any of that. And so when we do sing, it is uh, simple songs that be, that can be uh, learned by rote, um, that are repetitive, that can sort of, sort of a Teze style or a Iona style, a short uh, little, um, not a lot of words, simple melodies, uh, easy harmonizations. Um, so music is one thing that may happens in other churches the pattern that we generally uh, follow is what I call a we begin with a grounding time so that's a time where we um, bring ourselves into awareness of our bodies all five senses and the space that we're gathered in so we usually meet in the same park every month but not always sometimes it's in different uh, parks or different parts of the park but we want to bring ourselves into awareness of the space that we are gathered in as well as as our our god's presence within us but god's presence around us and and call into aware our awareness that in fact um we are worshiping with the nature with nature that is in that space with us not Sorry, I'm not saying this very clearly. Simply, what we do is we worship with nature, not in nature. Hmm. So we're recognizing that, um, you know, scripturally we hear about the trees clapping their hands or the rocks crying out or the heavens declaring the glory of God. So we uh, call that into our awareness that God is present and that God has created um, all of the natural world in a way, such a way that... Uh, there is engagement and worship happening in more than human ways. Uh, then after our, ground, our grounding time leads into a prayer, an opening prayer. Uh, then we have scripture reading and a bit of thematic content connected to that scripture. Uh, and then people are invited out for half an hour to just uh, quietly on their own uh, find a place to sit or to walk and to ponder and that pondering might be based on the scripture and the theme of the day, or it might be whatever God is uh, revealing to them in the natural world as well. Uh, we gather together again, and we share with each other from that time of, of listening, and then we have a closing benediction. 
And so I usually say we have a three-part sermon. That first part is the scripture. The second part is that half an hour silent listening. And the third part is the sharing together. Um, So it's not just me as the leader, as the pastor who's uh, pontificating on the scripture, but it's all of us together. Then sometimes we have music interspersed in that. And um, usually about four times a year we have communion as well. And we have other rituals that we do sometimes during Advent. We do a solstice Advent candle lighting service um, in the dark and a sunrise service, you know, in Eastertide or uh, different different variations on the basic service. I'm curious about the, the folks that are attending. Um, would you say that this is their primary church experience? Um, in it, is this in addition to other church experiences that most of them would be having on a regular basis? Or you know, what's the background of the folks that are attending? Yeah, it's a real mix. So there are people who attend other churches, um, a variety of denominations who come, and this would be something supplemental for them. But then there are certainly those who um, either don't have really any church background, maybe some when they were kids and they went with their parents or grandparents or grandparents uh, on occasion but then others who grew up attending church maybe attended even as adults but then have drifted away Um, and for various reasons this feels more um, comfortable for them so um, it's said on the website at least that this is um, part of the saint jacob's mennonite church or at least connected to how yeah, do you so feel? Saint... Yeah, Sorry. go ahead. I shouldn't interrupt. I'll let you finish your question so it comes through clearly. <laughs> oh, it's all good. I was just wondering, what is the nature of that connection? Are there is there a lot of overlap in terms of the actual people that are involved? Is there some financial, um, in some financial support or other kinds of connections that have been made? Okay, so um, the connection with Saint Jacob's Mennonite Church is a partnership model. And that is a model that St. Jacob's has used uh, with a variety of different groups. So we have a partnership with uh, the Benin Bible Institute in West Africa. We have a partnership with Grace Lau Mennonite Church in Kitchener. And now we have a partnership with um, Burning Bush Forest Church. So it's uh, one of the models that we use for for connecting with mission uh, beyond ourselves. And so uh, the The partnership with Burning Bush uh, Forest Church is uh, partly to facilitate financial support. So people who want to make donations to Burning Bush can do so through uh, making donations to St. Jacob's Mennonite Church. And then there's a a fund that that money can be held in that then goes towards Burning Bush. Um, And then St. Jacob's also has uh, a small part of their spending plan that goes our work as well in terms of participants there's you know maybe a handful but that's about it uh, of people who attend saint jacob's mennonite church who also come to burning bush and there's a liaison from saint jacob's who is one of our one is one of the people who does come pretty regularly to burning bush and she's she serves as a liaison uh, between the two and um, reports to leadership so that it's not just me it's a little bit gets a little bit muddy or fuzzy sometimes when I'm a pastor at St. Jacob's Mennonite Church and a pastor at Burning Bush Forest Church and I don't want to be the one who's 
facilitating or navigating this relationship because that feels a little bit um, tricky. Um, I'm not. I'm not sure if I'm going to formulate this question very well, but I, um, I, I've been maybe thinking about it from um, in our congregation at Seas. We've been pretty influenced by Richard Rohr and and some of uh, his um, perspectives on contemplative um, theology and um, and and his uh, center is known as the Center for Action and Contemplation and. Um, I think we're always wrestling with the the and part of uh, worship in contemplation and action and and movement, and especially in terms of uh, connecting to nature. And um, Connie has quite a bit of involvement with advocacy work in our community around um, um, garbage and plastic and recycling and composting and things like that. I'm so, I'm very curious about how it sounds like a very contemplative approach to church uh the way you do worship in and i'm wondering if how that connects to maybe the action side or um and this is thinking about our anabaptist mennonite roots where we tend to be very um action oriented in our our christian life and um, just wondering how those two sort of play off of each other in your experience with forest church or um i don't know i'm sure this isn't the first time you've heard a question about that or reflected on that that aspect Mm -hmm. yeah that's a good question so yes we are definitely very contemplative and i have also been shaped by richard Rohr and his franciscan um theology does have a lot of uh earth connection to it um but yeah in terms of action that has been a harder uh, part to tap into um i'd say a couple things are uh, on that, um, one being that in the, the last fall in, in 19, I mean 2019, um, when there was a lot of um, of climate um, rallies going on, we participated in in uh, the large one on Septem- in the, at the end of September uh, by providing a prayer service in advance of the rally, and so that was one way of getting people uh, to engage in participating in the rally um, and connecting it to a faith um, a faith core, like that there's um, a spiritual aspect to this crisis. And so by coming together to pray and to name that climate action is uh, grows out of our spirituality or our faith uh, was one connection that we made there. We also, uh, or I also um, on occasion lead uh, book studies and so some of those have led or have created opportunities for us to talk about action and lifestyle and the connection again between contemplation and and living out um what that means um and then a third would be this january um at the beginning of 2020 um a few of us felt a calling to try and um keep our federal government more accountable on the, in the area of climate action and so had committed ourselves to writing a an email once a week to uh, our federal mp our yeah our federal mp others were going to do it to our our provincial um we call them mpps here instead of uh mm-hmm. mlas i think in manitoba mm-hmm. um but that wasn't quite as effective here because our our local one is NDP, a lone NDP member in a 
in a conservative government. Anyways, uh, the plan was to write emails once a week, and that did continue pretty much until COVID took over. And, and um, yeah, so that was another thing that we tried to do. That a few individuals uh, tried to do. Some who were part of the the burning bush forest church, and some who were beyond. So the the membership doesn't really exist. So it's sort of fuzzy. People who come a couple times. You know, are they part of Burning Bush Forest Church or are they not? So, I don't know. It's hard to say what we're doing as a group because it, there's, while there is a core number of people who come pretty regularly, just like any church, um, no one's there 100% of the time. So when you only meet once a month, it's hard to know who your core group is and and uh, who your regulars are. So who who's participating beyond the contemplative worship and, and what they're doing in terms of action is sort of hard to track. Mm-hmm. I'd be curious, Wendy, about what you've seen in the participants in terms of what kind of needs the Burning Bush Forest Church is meeting. What's what's the yearning? What's the desire? Like this is this is a movement beyond forest or beyond the Burning Bush Forest Church, right? This is they're they're cropping up all over and where is this coming from do you think at a deeper level yeah i think it is um a deep desire to reconnect with the natural world and to recognize um that god is there that uh, our spiritual lives are uh, more than just in our heads or um in at certain places and certain times, but that, that God, uh, that the divine presence is, is much bigger than that. And, uh, in this time of, of climate crisis, um, to recognize that the earth is crying out and to hear that and to, um, deepen our connection then with our local watershed and to build that, um, relationship i think uh, is part of what people are looking for Um, we talk about wanting to deepen our connection with god with each other and with the natural world are sort of the three main uh, aims that we have Um, and recognizing that one of the things that motivates people to um, act for change is to develop a a connection or a relationship with the earth. And I don't know who said this, um, but there's a a quote out there, something to the effect that we won't fight for what we don't love. Or um, in other words, uh, we're most likely to, to work for change for that which we love or to stand up for that which we love or those Mm -hmm. whom we love. And so if we um, don't know who our more than human neighbors are in our watershed, why would we stand up for them? Why would we fight for them? Why would we act to bring about uh, change? For sure. Unless we have, again, fallen in love with these these places mm-hmm. and spaces. Yeah. Um, I have a big question. And f- and for this question, I need to give a bit of background. So um, all three of us, I think, 
are, have theology degrees, don't we, from a Mennonite university, and many of our listeners. The same one, actually. The same one. I was actually just noticing that everybody that we've had interviewed, except for one, have all been CNBC alumni or CMU alumni. So Shout I don't know, out. but Shout out um, to we're going to have to like maybe expand a little bit beyond that. Yeah, but anyway, <laughs> sorry, go ahead. We start with the low hanging fruit, right? Exactly. So I just remember when we, when we studied Mennonite history at CNBC, I remember um, being surprised at how many um, Anabaptist traditions kind of began at the same time, but unbeknownst to each other. And it was like a collective consciousness, right? They didn't, they weren't talking to each other in any way, shape or form. And it's like people woke up to the same idea in lots of different places. And I feel like that's happening right now. And I'm actually getting goosebumps a little bit when I, when I say that, because it's, it's incredibly exciting to me. It feels like proof that this is, um, this is beyond us. Something is happening. Something is stirring. If you look through human history, about every 500 years, we have a big shakeup, right? The last one was the Enlightenment. And uh, the Enlightenment has shown itself to have flaws, hasn't it? Like in a million ways. And I think we're all ready for a new message. When when Menno Simons began, many of our listeners will be Mennonites, um, we're all from a Mennonite tradition. When Menno Simons began his movement, it was against very specific things that were happening in his time. Those things don't exist anymore, but what exists now for us to define ourselves against? Although that, that sounds so um, um, combative. That's not how I want it to sound. But what is, what is the calling of the church in our time? What is this collective consciousness that I feel like is, is making itself known? And, and I think that's going to bring you into the next thing I wanted you to talk about, which is the Wild Church Network, which is a bigger thing than just your, your burning bush forest church. You know, it's, this, is, this is happening in lots of places in the world. And, and so what are the next steps and what is the future and what is the church being called to? So, yeah, big question and go. <laughs> <laughs> yes, big question. But yeah, you, you hit something exactly that I've noticed as well um, in terms of this really feels like a, a polygenesis sort of uh, movement. And that, that's one um, way of, of describing how, like you said, the Radical Reformation wasn't like it just started in one place and then all expanded out from there. But there were these little pockets of the spirit moving people in similar ways all over the place, the polygenesis of, of the Anabaptist movement. And I really um, felt like that is a similar thing that's happening here. When I hear about um, the way the Forest Church Network in the in the UK sort of started organically like this, and then, you know, I, I had my own calling here and, and learned about them. And then right around the very similar times as to when I was having my... Um, epiphany and, and thinking through this and and um, considering starting something similar things were happening in texas and um, uh, new hampshire and california and uh, vancouver and none of us knew that others were on this same journey or this same path or experiencing this calling um, to get out of a building and to, to experience and invite people into this experience of 
um, the sacred wild might be one way of, of talking about it, about God's um, sacred presence oh, like uh, in the world the around wild. us. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I don't even know how to touch on exactly what it is that we're pushing against, but I know that, that there is lots in our current um, context that I think has taken us off track and um, that this might be one one way that we are being called um, as a as people to uh, re-engage with with God in new ways but you know one thing I've also noticed that in this 500 year cycle of, of renewal and of new things happening the old never disappeared right like mm. the Catholic Church still continued uh, right. even after the Reformation and the Radical Reformation. Right. There just was a new expression that added to the richness mm. of the tapestry. And so I don't want to go around talking about the Wild Church Network or about Forest Church Network because this, this is a new thing and everything that, you know, is in a traditional church is, you know, old and gone and, and doesn't have any value anymore because it is still a very valuable place for so many people and um, there's a lot of people who aren't interested in getting outside to go to church either so it just is adding to the, the beautiful tapestry of the church I would say um, offering a new uh, a new way of being church for people for whom the old way isn't meaningful anymore or isn't enough mm-hmm. because for some people they're doing both so that's maybe a little bit of that so yeah the wild church network like i said um there were these there were people who were having similar experiences to me uh feeling a calling to do something different to um take things outdoors to deepen connections with uh the created world and um and we a few people found each other um through a conference i don't can't remember exactly uh, exactly how that happened but for me um, right around the time when I was actually just getting Burning Bush uh, started um, I had a LinkedIn profile I'm not much of a LinkedIn person but I decided um, to just add on my LinkedIn profile that I was also leading uh, Burning Bush Forest Church well someone in the Mennonite Creation Care Network saw that and asked if she could write a little um, or if I would write a little article about what I was doing. And my first reaction was, no, I'm, you know, this is brand new. Ask me again in six months or a year, and then I'll have something to sh- say. And she insisted. She said, no, write something now. So I did. And when that went out in the newsletter, someone from Virginia responded and said, no way. Uh, I am sort of exploring this here, but my sister in California has been leading um, – a wild church for about half a year. So the three of us met on um, Zoom and talked with each other. And then that woman in California knew of the woman in, in Texas and a guy in Colorado. And then someone told me about the woman in Vancouver. And we found out about the person in New Hampshire. Um, then I took a, a course on spirituality and nature at a university in Washington, D.C. around that time. <clears throat> and I talked to my professor about what I was doing, and she was excited and told me about someone else. And that was sort of how the Wild Church Network started, was when, um, yeah, 
when this little blurb in the Mennonite Creation Care Network went out and connected me with the person from Virginia and and person from California, and they each knew one or two other people, and, and it just sort of grew organically like that too. Um, and then, yeah, it's interesting because uh, some are quite liturgical, actually, in terms of growing out of perhaps the Lutheran or the Episcopal or Anglican traditions, and so what they do follows those liturgies a little bit more closely, and then some are more contemplative, um, like like the way I lead ours. So there's quite a variety. Um, and some meet every week, some meet once a month, some meet only on the months when there's equinox and solstice um, and follow sort of the, the Celtic calendar of the wheel or the Celtic wheel of the year, I think is what it's called. So uh, there's a, a Celtic Celtic roots for some groups. And um, yeah. And now... Be, um... The network, I think, has somewhere between 25 and 30 uh, groups connected with it. And um, we're getting new inquiries all the time from people who are interested and curious. Well, I was pleasantly surprised to get the email from you. And I, I found the Wild Church Network online. And, oh, I s scrolled through. It was so exciting and asked a question. And it was you that responded. And that was how I knew that you were part of that. And not just part of that. It sounds like you were instrumental in the beginning of that network. What do you, what do you feel has been the fruit of being able to see each other out in the world not just hear about, oh, I heard once, you know, but now you're, you can support each other and talk to each other. What's been the, the benefit of that? Oh, yeah, that's been huge. So one of the things that we, we started right off the bat was a monthly Zoom call. And thank, thankfully, it was before we were like oversaturated with Zoom. <laughs> so it was basically my one Zoom call a month. And I looked forward to it. Um, yeah, so we'd meet once a month uh, to basically hear uh, what each other were doing um, to ask questions of each other and uh, and that was a really important uh, thing in the beginning because we were all pioneering we were, we all were new at this there was no one to turn to to say how do you do this because we were all sort of figuring this out as we went along and so to be able to ask others you know how do you deal with accessibility like what do you do if someone comes, wants to come and is in a wheelchair? Or how do you engage with children when, you know, contemplative, um, a half an hour of contemplation is, you know, maybe a bit much for children who haven't learned how to do that? Or how do you deal with fundraising or money? Or are you just doing this for free as a volunteer, which I did for the first three years? Um, how do you promote yourself? How do you get the word out? So these are all, you know, what, and first of all, basically, what, why do we call ourselves church? And what does that mean? You know, why are we, why are we using this word still? Is it still a word that we want to use? And we affirmed, yes, we are still um, committed to being, using the word church and to saying, yes, what we are doing is church. I'd, um, I'd be curious to kind of just, um, string that idea out a little bit like do you find your is maybe I missed it I mean um, for a while there our camera was completely frozen I noticed and you might have thought that we were uh, you know getting a latte or something while you were, <laughs> you were talking <laughs> I heard this week that a 10 year old had figured out that on their school zoom that they could put up a, just a picture of themselves looking like they're on the zoom 
and they went and did something else. And the mom says, well, aren't they, aren't you going to, they're going to know. So no, mom, there's 30 of us. There's no way the teacher can tell that it's just a still picture of me. But anyway, um, back to the church question. Like I think about, um, the ecclesiology question around church is, are people connecting outside of the worship time that you do on a monthly basis? Is there cell groups, small groups that kind of create community outside of the the event. Maybe you said something about this already when I was offline, but um, yeah, I'm just curious about how, like, say a bit more why you consider it church still. Yeah. So we, we do have um, fellowship times. Sometimes we have um, potluck dinners afterwards. We, we usually meet on a Sunday afternoon, so at four o'clock in the afternoon so then we'll go to someone's house for a potluck afterwards or uh, have a you know campfire in someone's backyard or a, a picnic tell everyone to bring something for a picnic so we do have that sort of opportunity to meet um, over food and then like I said sometimes we do a book study so there's a bit of opportunity for for study and digging deeper into a, a topic but yeah it, it is um it is tricky to figure out exactly how to build community in the way that we think of when we think of church, when we think of a congregation or a, a fellowship, when you're only meeting once a month. I think the groups that have moved to meeting weekly have, when they when they started the weekly gatherings, because a lot of them would have started monthly first and then moved to weekly, they noticed that that really helped to improve the sense of commitment and community um, to make it feel more like a congregation or a church. So um, I think the reason why we felt it was important to, to use the word church, whether it's the Wild Church Network or the Forest Church, um, is that it does communicate something in our context still in terms of being a group of people who are on a faith journey, who are wanting to connect with each other because we have this common desire to explore what it means to be people of God. And it's not, yeah, it, it is different because, um, it, yeah, it doesn't look the way church, like church looks like for most of us when we know, you know, a building is a great way to help know what, it, where a church, mm -hmm. what a church is, right? Whether, whether it is in a traditional church building or whether it's in a community center you still sort of have this gathering place that that tells you something about the people who gather there um yeah but, no, uh, i i really like your answer because i at least in our in our seeds context we <coughs> we've tried to make intel intentional moves to understand what church is and what church isn't so for example the building that we're in right now is not the Seeds Church. It's the exchange building, mm -hmm. and we happen to meet in it. And, you know, we don't always make the connection to that, but we're trying to be intentional. And in this COVID-19 situation we find ourselves in, I think it was Darlene who, um, she just said, well, well, you can't cancel church. Like, like we're not canceling church. We're not having services. We're not meeting together physically. But church is still active, going on, and we can be church in very different ways than we're used to being the church. And I think you're just in, in wild church, forest church, you're just, it's just another 
version of being something that is church that looks very different than we might be traditionally used to. In fact, I think, I think you might be at an advantage because the word church and the building that the church meets in get confused one for the other. I actually think it's wonderful to cast the building part aside and, and the church is like you, I love the phrase you used, a, a community of people pursuing a relationship with God. You had a, a better way to say it, but that's, that's church. And you can meet in the forest. We have had a few little uh, attempts at forest church, except the only trees around here are the ones that have been planted. So uh, we were toying with various versions of prairie in the title, yeah. but we, we haven't settled on anything just yet. Forest church doesn't quite cut it around here. Yeah. And that's partly why the Wild Church Network is called the Wild Church Network, because there, uh, there's a group that meets in a bamboo grove. Oh. There is a group that meets on the wide open prairie in Colorado, not nice. a tree in sight. Hmm. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. Pe groups are meeting all over the place. And uh, so a forest is not required. I just, we called ourselves burning bush forest church before the wild church network began. Um, and so, and with uh, a fairly, um, high awareness of forest school in this area. Mm -hmm. It felt like uh, that sort of connection would make sense for people here. So, and we do also, Ontario um, just does have a lot of forests and the city here, Kitchener, Kitchener-Waterloo has a lot of forested parks. So we are fortunate that where we are meeting is actually generally in, even if it's an urban forest, it's in a forest. So the, the name makes sense for us, but right. yes, yes, I think groups need to, pick names that make sense for them oh, yeah stay tuned then for our the big reveal once we come up with something that works i i'd like to ask you about whether there's been challenge and i that's an assumption i'm sure there's been challenges how about resistance misunderstandings folks just not really understanding what you're about or or, or very much misunderstanding what you're about have you encountered much of that um, a little bit, yes, um, and certainly some of it was my was within myself. Actually, to be honest, when I was first starting, I I had a lot of ideas in my head that there would be people who would put up a lot of resistance that would think that this is um, paganism or um, new age or all these things, and I was worried in my head. I was I was creating these these dichotomies that I. I assumed people would project onto me that I haven't actually felt um, that often. Um, although there was one setting, and I can't even remember where it was now. When I, I think when I was talking about communion and celebrating communion outside, and and to be honest, one of the things we do when we celebrate communion is we give the first piece of bread, uh, we put it on the earth as a return offering to the earth, and then the last drops of grape juice, we also returned to the earth. And um, a man, in, when I was sharing this, I think it was in a webinar, um, he, he didn't say this directly to me at the time, but in the evaluation afterwards, he commented that that was he, uh, it was her heretical. So mm -hmm. I, was, I was called a, well, I guess I wasn't called a heretic, but what I was doing was being called heretical. And so 
Um, at a, at one point, that would have really upset me, and I would have really been shaken by that. But at this point, I feel I feel confident, and um, yeah, I feel I feel confident that what I am doing is of God, that it is within the the realm of God's kingdom and um, I'm not too worried about those people who might find it a little bit outside their comfort zones so that's uh, that's where I'm at I'm not threatened or worried anymore by people who might not understand because um, I took a an on I've, I've been taking courses um, online or in, in different places um, you know the Bible, a biblical theology and creation, or spirituality and nature, and and different courses uh, through different um, Christian universities or colleges that, you know, just make me feel comfortable in the whole concept of, you know, we're part of this web of creation that places us in a much broader um, understanding of God's grace extending beyond humanity, and that's something that that I didn't learn a lot about growing up in the church or even back when we were at CNBC in the 80s or 90s. But um, I think there is an evolving evolving understanding of God's activity in the world and in the natural world, um, in the cosmos, that is expanding from our previous theologies. Hmm. And it sounds like... You know- you, both your experiences with leading this church, but and also these courses, like you're finding your feet, and you're you're able to stand on both of them firmly against anyone that might have a misunderstanding. That you, you know what you're about, and and you're feeling good about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I would just encourage you in that too. That um, like a lot of these perspectives, they seem on the surface to be uncomfortable or. Um, I don't know what the right word, but they're, they seem out of left field. But a lot of these ideas are very much hidden in plain sight in the scriptures. And so when you look at them in a, like you just talked about those images of the trees clapping their hands and heavens declaring. And uh, I think, it, I'm not sure if this is a Franciscan idea, but um, I mean, Richard Rohr was mentioning that, um, that creation was the first incarnation. And... Uh, you know, as Mennonites, we're very Jesus-centered and we're followers of Jesus. And we sometimes think, well, what is the, how does that connect to creation? How does that connect to the environment? But I mean, in many ways, um, Jesus is an, another incarnation of God. And creation was the first incarnation. And uh, when you start to soak in those understandings, you realize that we've, we've missed something for a long time. And... Um, there's this idea that bad theology kills. And in a sense, when it comes to our environment, bad theology has been very destructive. And uh, if we're trying to heal our planet, then we need to reinvigorate our theology so that we can heal instead of do damage. Yeah. Sounds like a good, uh, good place to end. Thanks so much, Wendy. This has uh, been a very, very beautiful conversation. And we wish Thank you, you. I've enjoyed it. Oh, and we wish you all the best in, in all of those endeavors. And I will be watching and learning as you go.
and following. Yeah. Well, maybe I, I have actually one more question that just comes to mind. Just I'm curious about like we've we're all talking about COVID nineteen all the time. I'm wondering what I'd be wondering what you're noticing in this time, um, and how does that connect to maybe the things that matter to you in Forest Church and and Wild the Wild Church Network? Because it seems like there might be some um, alignments there, connections about our time right now. Yeah, um, I think for me, one thing that I'm noticing a bit is um, as people are so much more limited in what they're able to do, um, it seems like people are recognizing the importance of getting outside. Um, you know, before, it was very easy to just sort of move from our house to our car, to our place of work or study or whatever, you know, occupied our, ourselves during the day. And we might, we might get outside for walks or runs or taking the dog out or whatever, but it was, wasn't really um, necessarily seen as something that was uh, feeding our um, physical or emotional and spiritual health as well. And I think now people are maybe recognizing a bit more um, that connecting with nature, whether they're just limited to their backyards or um, they are still able to go out for walks or hikes, that they're, they're realizing that there is um, spiritual and emotional value to that in addition to the physical value to that. Um, and certainly there have been so many studies out recently in the past five or so years around you know, forest therapy or uh, the benefits of being outside. And um, perhaps people are starting to intuitively mm -hmm. notice that more. Uh, the more confined we are in our ability to get outside, the more we recognize just the innate value of that. Yeah, it's kind of ironic in a way that we've have we sort of gotten to know the very small place that where we live um, and our yards and things like that, that that actually becomes much more significant. I think it's Wendell Berry that talks about the significance of really getting to know the ground that you live, the place where you yeah. live and being, um, um, what's, what's the word? Just being comfortable and content where you are and not moving around all the time. And it's kind of, we've been forced into that, that place and we find a lot of life there. We've had to. Thanks very much. Yeah, thank you, Wendy, for, well, for listening to that call, for listening to that early call that you had, and, and just look, look where, where it went, and we'll be so, we'll be watching so carefully to see where it goes. Well, thank you. And it's so nice to talk with both of you. It's really nice to reconnect. It feels like it's been a long time. Yeah, yeah, it has been. Let's not wait for the next pandemic to do it again. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Okay, take care. Both yeah, you, you take care and your family as well. Stay safe. Yeah, thank you. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.